Welcome to Failed Utopia, the podcast about utopian ideas and paradise lost. We look at utopian concepts of the past, present, and future, as well as utopian communities and cults, which promise the world to eager followers, but inevitably fail when it all starts to unravel. Hey, Failed Utopia fam, it's the end of January. How are your New Year's resolutions going? No, I'm not attacking you personally, I'm just asking, because, well, we've blown past Quitter's Day, the day most people give up on their New Year's resolutions. That was way back on January 13th, less than two weeks after New Year, New You. There are varying statistics on how many people give up on their New Year's resolutions before the end of the year, and most of them are pretty abysmal. About 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions each year, and some studies suggest that about 80% of people fail to keep their resolutions. One study found that only 8% of people succeeded, and another study found the success rate to be 9%. I'm sure these statistics don't tell the whole story, but it's probably at least safe to say our New Year's resolutions fail more often than not. So why do we so often fail, and how can we better stick to those resolutions? Hell if I know, but there are experts out there with some advice. Spoiler alert, it's the same advice as achieving goals set any time of the year. I think we can use the words goal and resolution pretty much interchangeably, although I have to say maybe because I'm a millennial, the word goal has actually kind of been ruined for me by hashtag hustle culture and has a connotation to me of being something that's as intense as like lava, (laughs) like start another business or land a role as a stunt woman in a Hollywood film. A resolution sounds like something with a little more wiggle room. Like it just sounds less intense to me. Make the bed every day. Eat more dumplings. But for the purposes of this conversation, let's just say a resolution is a goal, and it can be big or small. January always strikes me as the worst possible time to revamp my life and try to force myself into a slew of healthy habits or some regimented new lifestyle of discipline and self-control. Maybe it's just because for me and a lot of people who live in northern climates, January is sort of the beginning of a cold, dark, abstemious bucket of suck that already takes a certain amount of fortitude and firmly applied mandatory optimism to make it to the other side of. Not a great time to start cutting out wine and Oreo cookies or taking up jogging. Which is why I was intrigued by learning that one of the earliest known traditions of setting New Year's resolutions began about 4,000 years ago with the ancient Babylonians. It's believed they made promises to their gods at the start of each year and returned borrowed objects and paid off debts. But they didn't begin their year in January. They started it off on the first moon after the spring equinox, which would fall mid-March. Now that sounds like the perfect time for resolutions. Maybe I'll be doing vernal equinox resolutions from now on. 
which is really just to say, if you want to set a goal, there's no difference between January 1st and any other day of the year. Except, of course, psychologically. While New Year's is a popular time to start new habits, so are Mondays, birthdays, the first of a new month, and of course, tomorrow. Aside from the Babylonians, the ancient Romans also made New Year's resolutions, or vows of Janus, who was the god of beginnings and endings, among other things, and symbolized transitions and a progression of time. Janus had two faces, looking in opposite directions, able to see both the past and the future. More recently, in medieval Europe, Christians were known to make confession and resolve to change their ways as part of their New Year's traditions, and medieval knights would renew their vow to chivalry by placing their hands on a peacock. And I think the annual peacock vow is due for a comeback. As you can see, the New Year's resolution actually has a rich and I think valuable history going back thousands of years. The concept of a dedicated time of reflection, resolving the past, committing to the future, it's really appealing. The idea of a fresh start seems to be very deep-seated and irresistible for most people. Perhaps we like the idea that we can relegate our mistakes to our past selves and embark upon the rest of our lives as new people. And setting a resolution might offer a useful feeling of control, helping a person identify areas of their life they want to improve and then take action. Setting a goal can even help provide a sense of purpose and motivation. It gives us something to work toward and a sense of accomplishment if we achieve it. I think that's worth putting our hands on a peacock for, but unless you're renewing your vow of chivalry, there's a little more to it than that. So let's get some simple but useful basics out of the way up front. How to make a resolution you can actually keep. Let's start with the obvious because it has to be said. When setting a goal, make your goal specific, actionable, and measurable. You may have heard of some version of SMART goals. SMART being an acronym for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-related, or some variation on those terms. Let's say your resolution is to practice more gratitude this year. That's great, but without getting down to the nitty-gritty of what that looks like, it might not be enough to go on, and you may not even know if you're doing it or not. Using the SMART acronym, you can take it from a slogan to something you can actually do. I will write three things in my gratitude journal 10 minutes before bed every night. Basically, you're going to need a plan. But when you're making those plans, don't try to change your entire life all at once. Let's say your New Year's resolution sounds something like exercise more, eat healthier, lose weight, or something to that effect. I didn't choose those out of thin air. Those are Americans' top three resolutions at 52%, 50%, and 40%, respectively. Lots of people might think, hey, post-holidays, season of excess and overindulgence, it's the perfect time to turn over a leaf. New year, new me. I'm going to exercise every day, eat nothing but cod and asparagus, or go keto or vegetarian. I'm going to drink a gallon of water every day and get up 15 minutes earlier so I can meditate every day, and I'll take a walk on my lunch break. Oh, and no sugar and no alcohol. 
this is a setup for failure. You might stay motivated for a couple of days or weeks, but then burn out pretty much immediately. You might give up and be left feeling frustration, maybe even shame or guilt, and you might even find yourself berating yourself for being lazy or lacking willpower. Here's another way to approach your goal. Start with one thing at a time. Maybe it's drinking more water every day. Make it something achievable that you can definitely do, then build from there a little at a time. This is related to the next piece of advice we always hear when it comes to goals, break tasks into smaller chunks. This one's pretty self-explanatory. Instead of one huge insurmountable task, make your goal a series of small steps and then start knocking them out one after the other. Track your progress, celebrate the milestones along the way, and if it helps, share your goal and your progress with a friend or accountability buddy. But first and foremost, try to find a way to enjoy your new habits. The habit that makes you feel good and that you look forward to is the habit you'll stick with, not the one you think you have to do or should do. A habit that makes you miserable is headed for the trash heap. If you want to cook more meals at home, maybe cooking with your kids or your spouse will make it more enjoyable. Maybe cooking alone will make it more enjoyable. Maybe exploring a new cuisine would be fun. That's just an example, but try to turn your goal from a chore into something that feels good. Okay, so let's say you manage to get started and you're doing the thing. But pretty soon, your enthusiasm starts to wear down a little, and your excitement is long gone. How do you keep going? Will the thing be easier to stick to once you've made it a habit? What's the deal with that 28 days to create a habit thing? We've all heard it. I wanted to find out if that's a myth or legit. So I looked it up, and it turns out, first of all, (laughs) the saying is 21 days to create a habit. I always thought it was 28 days that people said, but apparently I was wrong, and it's three weeks that people throw around. And this 21-day thing came from a guy named Maxwell Maltz, best name ever, by the way, but he was a plastic surgeon back in the 1950s, and he started thinking about the time it took his patients to adjust to their new look after plastic surgery and also the phantom limb phenomenon that some amputees experience after losing a limb. And he observed that it typically took his patients at least three weeks to start adjusting to their new bodies. And this was interesting to him, so he started applying this idea to his own life and looked at his own behavior, observing that it took roughly the same amount of time to adopt a new habit. Well, he ended up writing about this observation in a book that he published in 1960, basically just saying that it tends to be the case that it takes a minimum of about 21 days to change your mental image of yourself. A minimum of about 21 days. Now, smart listeners, I'm sure you've noticed that Dr. Maltz's methodology was not exactly scientific here certainly not to the degree that we could draw any broad conclusions from it, but this book he published, Psycho-Cybernetics, went old-school viral and sold 30 million copies, and in the decades since, that one little tidbit somehow made its way very thoroughly into pop psychology, and specifically the self-help sphere. And that's why we hear it all the time, like it's some fact. 
There have been a few studies done over the years since then on habit formation, but fam, I'm not even going to bother telling you about them because after looking a few of them over, I found them useless. They're tiny studies based on volunteers self-reporting their own behaviors, so already suspect to the point of worthless for our purposes, in my humble opinion, and the upshot is it can take any length of time to form a habit. It just depends on who you are, the habit, the circumstances, and your personal history and psychological factors. So the point is, I would advise you to just ignore the 21-day thing. After all, even if you complete the 21 days, it's not like you're done, you just have to keep doing it. You might eventually reach a point where it's not so hard to get yourself to do the thing because it's basically automatic, but that could be tomorrow or a year from now or never. So that wasn't helpful, (laughs) but I do have some helpful information for you to keep your habit going to 21 days and beyond. How do we not lose steam? Ugh, if you're anything like me, you're really not going to like this one. You've got to rely on discipline, not motivation. This one is really tough for someone like me because I just like to do whatever the hell I want whenever I feel like it. I prefer to work on things when I feel inspired and energized to do it. And while that does work great for some things, for other things, it's not ideal. If my goal is to run a marathon, I probably won't get very far if I just run when I feel like it. Sure, I might make a ton of progress at first while I'm all excited, but then I'm going to be sore and tired and blistered and chafing and it'll be raining outside, and inevitably, I really won't want to go one day. So I'll just tell myself, hey, you know what? I'll just go tomorrow when it won't be raining, and my hamstrings won't feel like the devil's been injecting them with ghost pepper sauce in my sleep. And for the vast majority of us, therein lies the problem. Like the capital P problem. How to transition from motivation to discipline. To me, that's what Quitter's Day is all about. And like the entire month of February. Have you ever read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear? I'm guessing that some of you have and that more of you will have at least heard of it. This book came out almost five years ago and I still hear about it all the time. It's a number one New York Times bestseller and people just love it. So I thought I would give you guys a few top takeaways from Atomic Habits by way of providing some simple, actionable tips from someone who knows what they're talking about to help get you over that hump when motivation runs out and you have to switch to discipline, which of course means getting consistent with your daily habits. In the book, James Clear emphasizes the power of small incremental changes. His whole shtick is that small improvements in our habits compound and lead to significant results over time. And he emphasizes focusing not on the end goal, but on building an efficient system. In other words, if you deadlift 300 pounds one time, you probably won't get a whole lot out of it, except maybe hurting your back real bad, whereas lifting a moderate amount of weight on a regular basis will probably get you some decent strength gains over time. Yeah, that's a really obvious example, but for some reason, it seems like a lot of us apply this type of thinking to 
other areas of our lives and we don't even realize it. People tend to overestimate what they can accomplish with one Herculean effort and underestimate what they can do with a tiny bit of effort made consistently over and over and over. By the way, James Clear was not the first guy to come up with this. In fact, if you're into stoicism, you can just skip over all this, but he put these ideas into a nice, approachable, digestible form in his book, which I think is why people love it so much. So here are a few simple, actionable things you can do right now. This first one is my favorite, the two-minute rule. I've heard other versions of this. One of them is the 20-second rule. That's even easier. But the idea is you scale down the habit you want to do until it is so easy you literally cannot fail. Don't go from doing no exercise to I'm going to work out for an hour every day. Go from zero to I'm going to put my running shoes on. That's it. Make the habit something you can check off every single day or, you know, 98% of the time to build the discipline. Because so much of the time, getting started is the hard part. Once you have your shoes on, you might actually find that you do get out the door and go for the walk or whatever, but get a habit established by lowering the bar until it's on the floor if you need to. That's fine. Once you're doing it consistently, then you add on, then you add on again, then you add on again, little by little. But you remove every barrier you possibly can. And if you can't get it done 98% of the time, scale it back until you can. But this is the opposite of how so many of us approach starting a new goal. We just throw everything we have at it right at the start. And then we're somehow surprised that it's not sustainable. Or we give up when we keep missing the mark. So start with just two minutes. You can do anything for two minutes. But that two minutes might be the decisive moment that determines how your day is going to go. Okay, next tip, optimize your environment. This one could cover a lot of different things depending on your goal, but could be stuff like putting healthy food in your fridge, hiding the TV remote, or deleting social media apps from your phone. Basically, removing the opportunity to fall into bad habits can really help with working on your new ones. Simple, but useful. Tip three, try habit stacking. If you already have a habit, take advantage of it. Use the brain power associated with that existing habit and tack a new one onto it. If you want to start a daily meditation habit, connect it with something you already know you'll do no matter what. For example, you probably brush your teeth every morning and evening. So maybe you can say, after I brush my teeth each night, I will meditate for two minutes. Or maybe you drink a cup of coffee every single morning. Stack your two-minute meditation onto that. And finally, be patient. Something James Clear talks about in the book is the nature of progress, or more specifically, the valley of disappointment. If I start a band, I'm going to call it that. When we start a new habit, we expect progress to be linear, so we should start to see some results pretty quickly. But that's not really how it works. If we're starting with small habits that compound over time, the first phase of progress is non-existent in the sense that the change is so small that we don't notice it. It's not until later when these small incremental changes compound 
that they hit a critical mass and our progress takes off and becomes noticeable. So there's a disconnect between the progress we expect to make and how it actually goes. That initial valley of disappointment can last longer than you might think, and that's where most people give up and fail. It's disheartening when you've been working towards something with seemingly no results. But if we understand that there is a delayed reaction and focus on building discipline with our positive habits over the long term, we can reap the rewards in the future. If you liked those tips, there is a ton more where that came from in the book Atomic Habits, so you can pick that up or borrow it from the library. But to those of you who are starting to feel stifled and panicky from all this talk about habits, let me just say that many of the recommendations from so-called productivity experts call for an adherence to structure and routine that I have never once displayed a propensity for in my entire adult life. Yes, I can do it if I have to. And in the years I spent working in a bureaucratically inclined institution, People thought I was doing well, I got excellent performance reviews from my bosses, but inside I was dying, and I know a lot of you can relate to that. Being good at something and it being good for you are two very different things. Now, I'm not saying throwing routine out the window completely is the way to go either. I've fallen down that hole more than once as well. If you're more of a creative or freeform type of person, you might benefit a lot from building some kind of habit or routine like James Clear describes, but you don't have to get carried away scheduling every minute of your day. Letting your mind just wander is the way to have the best idea of your life. So even if you are working toward a new goal this year, maybe don't overdo it with hashtag productivity hacks. You do you. If you want your goal to be more meaningful, more transformational this year, you might have to expect things to get kind of emotional. Maybe you've never really thought about it this way, but to set yourself a goal to get what you really want, like what you, listener, really want in life, you might have to confront some stuff about what kind of person you think you are, and maybe you have some not-so-nice thoughts about the kind of person you are and what you're capable of and what you deserve in life lurking around in your head. Maybe you don't even know it. And if you start interrogating some limiting beliefs you have about yourself and what you can do and what you deserve out of life, well, maybe those goals would look different. Maybe that doesn't resonate with you, but maybe it's a little food for thought. And here's another way working on goals might be more emotional than you realize. Do you have trouble with goals and habits because you procrastinate? Maybe this is common knowledge to everyone else, but I admit that I only learned recently that procrastination is actually not about being a lazy piece of shit like I thought I was, but about mood regulation. So when you find yourself avoiding your work or workout or whatever, it could be that what you're really avoiding is negative emotions your brain doesn't want to let you feel. Depending on the task you're avoiding, it might stir some things up, like anxiety, feeling incompetent, 
fear of failure, a lack of confidence in your ability to do the task, being totally overwhelmed, or worrying that it won't be perfect when you get it done. Guys, when I learned about this, it made so much sense. In my mind, I know procrastination isn't an emotion, but I always kind of thought of it as an emotion, like a bad feeling that you just can't shake, even though you know you'd feel so much better if you just write that paper or make that phone call. It just feels yucky. So what can we do about it? Well, it might depend on the reason for the procrastination. For example, if a certain task you're avoiding is scary, the solution might be different than if you're avoiding doing something that makes you feel inadequate. So it's complicated, and of course, I don't have an easy answer for this one, but I think it's immensely helpful to at least be aware and acknowledge that to address our procrastination, we have to be willing to ask ourselves what that feeling is that's stopping us from moving forward. And of course, this won't apply to every single thing in your life. Some procrastination has a simple explanation, like low motivation. Maybe the task itself is unpleasant or low reward. This might include household chores or things like that, where we just want to prioritize our short-term pleasure over doing something a bit unpleasant. And for those simple cases of procrastination, I direct you back to my little discipline versus motivation speech from earlier. But even though it sounds simple, keep in mind that prioritizing short-term comfort at the expense of long-term happiness is an emotional response, and is worth looking at whether it's indicative of an overall pattern in your life. If you have a goal that's really important and leaving it unmet is causing you distress or some kind of problem, maybe getting some help is an option. See a counselor or therapist, find a mentor, or hire a coach. Get some help to stop drinking or smoking, or hire someone else to keep your house clean. Sign up for swimming lessons or join a group to practice your Spanish. There's help out there for just about anything you might want to accomplish. And for everything else, maybe you don't have to sweat the small stuff. If we have the luxury of sweating the small stuff, maybe our lives are already in pretty good shape. Maybe it's no big deal if you never do learn to play that guitar you picked up at a yard sale five years ago, or you never get better at flossing your teeth. After all, a few billion years from now, the expanding sun will finally vaporize the burnt husk of our planet, and we won't have to worry about all this. And just in case anyone out there was feeling bad about a goal they didn't accomplish, or maybe you made a resolution that you haven't actually started yet, I have a confession to make. I meant to get this episode out to you last year. <laughs> That's right. I had the idea for this episode to come out in January 2022, <laughs> but I didn't get it done. I really did mean to, but it just didn't happen, and pretty soon it was February, and I was like, well, that's it. You can't have an episode about New Year's resolutions when it's not even January. So now we can laugh about it. And you know what? It really doesn't matter. I just moved it to the calendar for 2023 and moved on with my life, and here we are. Don't be hard on yourself, and don't give up if you slip up. If you're having trouble getting back on track, 
Remember the two-minute rule. You can always start again. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to help other people find it. Tell your friends about it. And if you want to support the pod directly and help keep new episodes coming, you can donate to the show through the link at the bottom of the show notes. Connect and stay in the loop on the website, failedutopia.com or the Facebook page at Failed Utopia Pod. Failed Utopia episodes are written and produced by me, Anna Roberts. The burning palm tree painting featured on the cover is by artist Perry Vasquez. My intro music is by Elliot Middleton. See you next time.